T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It's hour number three of Bucko Talk. Good Saturday morning to you, Dan Zang. Really, uh, you can text us on the Edgar Snyder & Associates text line if you'd like. That's uh, 412-928-9370. Edgar Snyder & Associates reminds you to text responsibly. Let's... Uh, Go back to the phone lines, AdamBerryPirates.com, Bucko Beat Writer, who has uh, been busy. He was trying to unfold uh, all of the potential fallout for the organization in this 17-page agreement that uh, we just spoke of in the, uh, the 2020 update and what it all means for the Bucks if and when they do play baseball. But we do know that service time will be accrued, and if the draft does indeed take place in July, it will be five rounds, and... Next year's draft could be altered as well, shaved uh, down to 20. So let's uh, let's get right to it. Adam, uh, thanks for coming off the basketball court this morning from shooting hoops and uh, joining us here on Bucko Talk. It's good to hear from you, Dan. Yeah, yeah. You you don't sound sincere. Well, you know, we're starting off with shooting hoops, so. <laughs> well, inside joke, inside joke. We'll explain it a little bit later. But, uh, hey, uh, Mackie was telling us that this is kind of, bad for the Pirates, uh, if you're looking at this thing in, in a vacuum. Uh, a, do you see it that way? And B, um, where do the Pirates, uh, I guess, get shafted, for lack of a better term, in this whole thing? Yeah, I would tend to agree that it is mostly bad for the Pirates, just because, you know, this is a this is a rebuilding season. This is a, a younger team. You know, this is building towards something. And this is a team that needed to acquire talent any way possible to the organization, you know, whether that was going to be through the draft, which now, you know, your opportunity to do that is, is limited. You know, the international market, which apparently that's going to be limited by pushing back the international signing period. That actually might hurt them as much as anything, you know, as far as the, the future impact. Um, and then, you know, the potential of what a trade deadline is going to look like, you know, if, if that gets pushed back or if, you know, teams aren't as willing to, to give up prospects for, you know, such a short-term potentially deal or if there is no trade deadline, that's the worst-case scenario – then you potentially get nothing for a Keone Kella, uh, you know, maybe for a Chris Archer, you know, a Gerard Dyson, a Derek Holland. You don't add talent to the organization that way. And then maybe the most crushing thing would be potentially losing, uh, you know, basically a full year of service or something close to it of Brian Reynolds, you know, of Kevin Newman, of some of these other guys without having them play a game. Uh, you know, you're going to lose potentially a year of, of the prime of Josh Bell, of Joe Musgrove, of some of these guys without, you know, getting them on the field and that is probably where they stand to lose the most in the short term is just you know not potentially losing a year of control of those guys 
you know, without being able to evaluate them, you know, you're, you're losing a chance to see who you want to build around because you're not going to be able to watch prospects develop. And you're not going to get your, you know, your hands on these guys for the first time with the new coaching staff and all this optimism that they had about this new approach that they were going to take, especially with pitchers. They, they really do stand to lose, even if it's not, you know, an immediate thing like the Dodgers might lose, you know, a chance to win a World Series or lose Mookie Betts for a year. They do lose kind of in the long run, which is what this whole thing's about right now. Adam Barry, Pirates.com, is with us. Um, I'm concerned about the draft. Um, you mentioned the service time, and that is that is real, certainly. I mean, yeah. if, if you know you burn a year of Josh Bell without having him take a swing, I mean, no doubt. But looking at this thing long term, right, as you try to infuse talent into the organization, five rounds. I mean, that's that's not much <laughs> at all. But you can still acquire in the undrafted realm and market, but I, I wonder how that is going to work because, you know, listen, organizations like the Pirates, they have to build through rounds 6 through 15. I can understand if you're going to do away, you know, you know, 25 through 40, I, I get that, yeah. but there's a lot of talent that comes in through 6 through 15 and, and 6 through 20 even. Right, and there's also a lot of strategy that takes place in that part of the draft. You know, even as simple as redistributing your your draft bonus pool. You know, that's something the Pirates were able to do pretty effectively over the last couple of years. Where you know maybe you draft above slot in the first couple of rounds, and then you you know you pay college seniors you know senior signs basically in the in the you know six through ten range, and then you know you have that bonus where you're you're out of the bonus pool where you can overspend on round eleven. That's something they've done consistently, or they did consistently under Neil Huntington for the last several years where they get, you know, a pretty decent prospect in the 11th round because they're not capped by that for, you know, one through 10 pool, you know, which is all kind of wonky. And I, I understand that, but it's a really significant part of the way that these teams approach the draft is how they, you know, divvy out their bonus pool and the way that they're able to spend and where they're able to kind of find inefficiencies. And now, you know, they're, they're still going to try to find inefficiencies, but it's going to be harder to do in a five round draft because, you know, your pool is what it is. These guys are going to have such a high demand because, you know, why, why should they take under slot? At this point, you know, they know what teams have and they know there's only five picks to distribute it. And then, you know, everybody's kind of capped at what they can do with these undrafted types where I believe the max they can sign for is 20,000, where previously the max was 125,000. That puts a lot of pressure on your scouts to develop relationships with these guys and a lot of pressure really on the organization to sell itself to these undrafted types. You know, that's something the Pirates have done fairly well. I wrote a story this spring about Nick Mears, the guy that they signed, in part because of the relationship that they developed between the scout and the player. Um, but, you know, that's a lot of work for a lot of scouts with a lot of players now. You're not talking about, you know, 10 of these guys per year. You're potentially talking about, what, 30, 40, yeah. maybe even more, uh, in addition to the international implications of it. So, yeah, it, it is really significant in the draft, and that's an area where the Pirates needed to do well this year, next year, and going forward under Ben Sherrington. So I'm going to go ahead and throw another caveat in here, Adam, to further complicate this. And uh, as you know, I, uh, I, I broadcast a lot of college baseball down in West Virginia. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the college baseball season has just been outright canceled. And then there's going to be, I think coming up on Monday, they're going to rule as to whether or not the spring sport athletes are granted an additional year of eligibility or whether that pertains to just the seniors. But as it pertains to... Uh, you know, this $20,000 limit for an undrafted guy, this really shifts all of the leverage to the college juniors, does it not? Especially, not only from the financial aspect of it, because they could snub their nose at twenty grand, go back to their senior year, assuming that they don't get 
the ability to repeat their junior year. And if they repeat their junior year, which we're going to find out on Monday, if the NCAA rules in their favor, that I mean, that really muddies the water. Plus, you're talking about developing relationships. How do you even do that if you're not even playing games? Because scouts can't even get eyes on these players. Right, exactly. That's where it goes back to, you know, guys who form relationships, you know, kind of scout and follow from high school, from their freshman year, you know, just trying to get to know the families, stuff like that. You talk about leverage, too. Imagine being a high school senior and, you know, all of a sudden you have, a, let's say, a scholarship offer to the University of Florida, a fine institution where they play good baseball and mm. you could go next year. But you get drafted in the fourth round and you don't quite get the bonus demand. Maybe in years past you'd say, you know what, I'll go and, you know, I'll make my money or whatever. Now, you know, if the alternative is, I don't know, I, I think that they're probably more likely to go to college in that place, in that, in that scenario. But then, you know, you're talking about the implications for if they potentially allow, you know, repeat years in, in college, basically, you know, to repeat the eligibility. Imagine what the 2021 draft class is going to look like and then how this plays going forward. And especially if next year's draft is 20 rounds, I mean, that just that clogs the pipeline so much. And, you know, I'm really curious to see what this is going to look like. It, it does seem to put the the leverage in the hands of, of the, the amateur talent, I would agree. Yeah. Um, I think we're best served just pausing the 2020 draft at day's end because there's so many moving parts. I mean, uh, I don't know. I, I, uh, I Some of this really seems so silly at, at day's end. Right. I mean, I think it's probably best to do it. And I think it's important that, you know, the, that there is still going to be, you know, an influx of talent coming into each organization, you know, especially a team like the Pirates that need it. I mean, but there is going to be a question. If there is no season, is there a draft? What's the point of that? You know, I think there's probably going to be a lot bigger discussions that need to be had as we sort of get further into this. And, you know, when when we realize if there's going to be a season and how long that season's going to be, because right now, based on, you know, some of the stuff that's been reported about what would need to happen for a season to take place, that still seems like it's kind of an open question, which is probably the, you know, the biggest potential concern here. Yeah, a lot of boxes that have to be checked before any of this really even becomes relevant. Adam Barry, Pirates.com, is uh, with us. Uh, in the short term here, um, we had Todd Tomzik, a uh, fine, fine fellow he is, a director of uh, sports medicine, just talking about uh, trying to keep these guys active and somewhat acclimated to uh, a, a sense of normal as we yeah. sit and we wait. They're kind of stuck in in, in limbo here between off-season and, and in-season regiments. What, what are, I guess, the biggest pressing issues as it pertains to the Pirates on March 28, 2020? What's item number one that when, when Derek Shelton's feet hit the floor this morning or Ben Charrington, you know, is sipping his morning coffee? What, what's front of mind for, for those two guys? For one, I mean, it's, it's the same as it is for probably everybody in the world right now, which is just make sure everybody is healthy and safe. You know, I, I think you can't really go anywhere without that. That That's definitely been their, their top concern. You know, they've talked about it. It might be easy to just say, oh, yeah, they're just saying that. They're really living it just as far as their concern for everybody's well-being. But then it's just keeping guys ready. I'm sure Todd talked a lot about that. It's, you know, it's how do you handle, you know, not going completely off from working but not overworking to the point where, let's say, this season does stretch into November. Guys are burnt, you know, by then. I think that's probably the most careful – the thing they have to be the most careful about. You know, I've, I've had some pitchers and players say, you know, it's January again right now. You know, you're treating it where you're not throwing, you know, full intensity. You know, you're not throwing all your pitches necessarily, but you're keeping your arm moving. You know, you're taking swings. Even if you can't get the batting cage, you know, you're going to the – the backyard and swinging at a tree or whatever it may be you know somebody's throwing you nerf balls and you're trying to hit those just to keep your timing down because 
you know, these guys do have to be ready potentially for a short and spring training, you know, at the drop of a hat. Uh, so I think that's the toughest part of just balancing, you know, the, the preparation part of it, but also just kind of the anxiety of it, not getting in your head about that. And, you know, I think there's just really a lot that they can't control. And then athletes will tell you, you know, you have to focus on the things you can't control, but there's not a whole lot they can right now. And I think that's got to be the, the toughest part of it mentally is just the uncertainty. And speaking of spring training 2.0, how does that look? How long is it? Are you playing games? Or are you just doing sort of like a, a mini camp kind of workout for a couple of weeks and then you get up and go? What does spring training 2.0 look like? And, and, and envision that for us. Yeah, I think those discussions are still ongoing because nobody really knows. I mean, I think if you talk to any player, they will tell you you have to get game reps before you can play a regular season. And inter-squad games just don't do that for you. You know, that's what they're doing. I spoke to a player who's over in Korea, right, in South Korea right now, and they're, you know, they're doing inter-squad games to get ready for the season. You know, that's the way they prepare for, for, the, for the season is playing, you know, each other. But the intensity just isn't really there. You know, you're not going to go all out. Maybe you don't throw that pitch inside against your teammates. So I, I do think you need to play games in some fashion, even if it's a week of games. You know, maybe you have to go down to Florida for that. You know, maybe you maybe we have to go down to Florida to, to train anyway because they're going to play their games in spring training sites. That's a, you know that's a whole other part of it that we don't necessarily know. Uh, but I think you probably need at least three weeks, probably, just to get ready, just to get pitchers stretched back out. You know, you're probably looking at expanded rosters to start the season. You know, assuming the season does start, so that you can you know potentially start the year with a starter who's only ready to throw five innings, maybe. So you know that cuts out a week of spring training or so. And if guys are prepared going in to throw three innings, then okay, that's fine. And they only need a couple of outings to get ready for the season. But, you know, hitters need that bat to get their timing down. I just don't see a scenario where you do that without games. And, you know, the best way to do that would probably be going back to Florida and Arizona. Well, uh, we sit, we wait, and once the shoe drops, if it does, it's going to be fascinating, if not anything else, Adam. Yeah, I mean, I mean that's the uncertainty of it is pretty tough from our perspective as well, just not really knowing it. You know, I think everybody's kind of going through that together right now. And, you know, the, the most encouraging thing out of this deal that the MLB and MLBPA made was the fact that they came to an agreement and that, you know, assuming this public health crisis does end, there will be baseball. And I, I think that's really the, the, the top line takeaway from all of that is that they did sit down, come to an agreement, and there will be baseball if there can be baseball this year. In the interim, you work on your hoops game. Yeah, we'll have to tell that story next time. Oh, man. Yeah, out of time. All the best, Adam. Enjoy your Saturday. All right. Take care, Dan. Good to hear from you. There he goes, Adam Barry, Pirates.com, the great Pirates beat writer. Jason Grilly scheduled to join us next, Reliving 2013. What's the former Bucko closer who's living in the Pittsburgh area, North Hills? What's he up to these days? Stay with us. It's Bucko Talk on 93.7 The Fan. Thanks for being with us on your Saturday morning. It's Bucko Talk Sports Radio 93.7 The Fan. Dan Zang really with you, uh, and it's always good to uh, get on the phone line here. The Fan Hotline brought to you by the Workers' Compensation Law Firm of Hall and Capitas to chat with uh, former Bucko right-hander, former Bucko closer, uh, Jason Grilly, who is, uh, I guess we can call him now, a Pittsburgh native. Jason, good to talk to you, man. How are you? Good morning, guys. How you doing today? We're we're hanging, we're hanging. So that's uh, all we can do, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. And how are you? How, how's everybody? Everybody's good. Um, you know, I uh, this I guess life as it's been for me in retirement here, trying to figure out what to do. I'm glad everybody's on my page that way now. If I can be a little selfish, I feel like everybody's uh, 
you know, just kind of sitting around waiting and refocusing on what I think people know to be important. You know, I think we all get caught up in a busy lifestyle and what we want and what we're chasing. And hopefully, you know, I'm, I'm hoping, I'm praying that everybody gets through the sickness and the, uh, this, this change of everything, but, uh, and hopefully get baseball back and sports back or entertainment and life as we know it. Um, even my kids, you know, everybody's kids are sports are being affected and, extracurriculars the things you enjoy but uh, you know i said the refreshing thing is as bad as this can be and i want to be too long-winded on this but i said just to see i said i felt like i was an 80s kid again like i grew up and some of my fondest memories being the 80s kid i always tease i go i'm seeing people outside i know we can't really like have barbecues and stuff like that yet but i'm hoping that's going to be the big celebration when everything kind of comes to back go to the stadium you know, really be nice to each other, cheer with each other, do all that stuff. That, you know, just kind of reset and refocus and, uh, you know, take take the good out of this instead of the bad, you know. Yeah, no, no doubt. And that's so funny because, uh, you know, I, I had to walk to the local market because I wanted to avoid the crowds about a mile to pick up the essentials, got the milk, the eggs, uh, and, and, and some cheese, some bread, just all of that stuff. But uh, I was walking back carrying a grocery bag i said this feels like 1989 which wasn't necessarily a bad thing hey uh, that's it's funny that you mentioned that is jason grilly former pirates right-hander is with us uh, i didn't know what you uh, had an opportunity to do this past week uh i'm sure you may have caught wind that they uh, replayed on at&t sportsnet jason the uh, 2013 wild card game uh, did you watch it and uh, have you ever seen that game replayed yeah, we 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 did. It was um, they called me and uh, told me they were doing that and to shoot a quick video. Um, I did with my sons outside. We were actually building a bonfire in the backyard. I was trying to get them outside, and and after they did their homework and whatnot, and they called everybody and said, "Hey, they're going to replay the game." And it was fun and exciting to rewatch it, even though knowing the outcome, my my energy level and nerves were up again, like as it was the first time. And uh, yeah, it just you know. I know it was such a great moment for the city It's in the, in the sports and just the Pirates history, um, the whole Cueto thing, and just reliving it. it was, there was little bits and pieces. I, I remember a lot, but there was a couple things I, I totally forgot about. And uh, I think the thing, it was funny, too, because after that game, I started calling everybody from that team. Even Rick Sofield had a long conversation with him at first base, our face race coach, one of my favorite coaches that year. Um, just rekindling some of the the good vibes. I think we're all looking for that, you know, right now. And, and that was such a great moment. And, uh, I've had people still come up to me and people are like, you changed my life. Or, and they're like, you know, they'll be crying. They're like, you, that was one of the greatest moments. I mean, it's just when people talk about that, that sporting event, um, and what it meant to them and this city, it was, I, I feel so honored to be a part of that, um, to be on the, the field when the last out was made and to, you know, hug all those guys that were integral, Every single guy, the guys we got from the beginning, guys that we traded for, and like you said, Marlon Bird, John Buck, and uh, uh, the guys that we added, you know, uh, to that, Justin Marnoa. I wish they kept that team together. I think that's what we were talking about is how they put that together so beautifully and then dismounted it, unfortunately, like they tend to do here in Pittsburgh. We don't know why, but, uh, you know, what a great thing to be a part of and, and to relive that moment uh, i think forevermore a lot of people will remember that and it sticks in their mind for obvious reasons on that team uh who is the glue jason you mentioned that that was uh, a unique 
team. Uh, obviously, they would go on to win for two more years, but uh, that seemed to be a kind of a, a special group for, for, for whatever reason. Why and, and who were the, the catalysts there that really made that thing work? I think there was a lot of uh, key parts. I think, honestly, too, I just felt like I don't even know if they expected that to happen. Uh, but you pull in guys, veterans like A.J. Burnett, Russ Martin, um, the guys that were homegrown like Neil Walker, McCutcheon. Um, you know, we had a very good bullpen, as you know. Uh, I saw the stat up there. It was like I think we were 62-9 and nine or whatever it was uh, in 1-1 one, one ball games. So that, that was a testament to how good our bullpen it was in holding leads that year. Um, you know, when the offense was struggling, we held it down for them and, and played good defense. So uh, there was there were everybody, even just guys like Josh Harrison, who wound up being a spark plug, just the energy in the clubhouse. Um, you know, Clint Barmas, who was a good friend of mine, he kept everybody loose. And his, his infamous, you know, the Journey song he came up to uh, – it just we we sang that on the buses and the planes, and we just we just we just enjoyed being around each other. And every team that you know does win together, they always say that when they're spraying champagne. It's like we had a good group of guys. I mean, we saw Charlie Morton say that uh, on both you know playoff run teams that he was on. Um, but they're just always it always seems to be a good group of guys because you know teams that enjoy being around each other they usually win you know and they have fun together. And we we did that season. We certainly did. Jason Grilly, former Pirates closer, uh, with us. Uh, I didn't realize that you were 36 in 2013 when you punched out 70. I wish batters. I still was. <laughs> <laughs> 74 batters, right, in 50 innings. Uh, you saved 33 games that year. Um, I want to get into how you went about it here and how that would play in today's era, because really it's a different era if you think about it. Um, but I, I want to talk to you about something that you, you said here just a moment ago, how you watched the game and uh, with everybody else in Pittsburgh this past week, and some things that you didn't quite remember that, that sparked your memory. What were some of those things that you may have forgotten about, or some of the little intricacies of that game that, that maybe fans may have never picked up on or, or even know about? Um, well, I, 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 I forgot what the I thought we won five to two, but I'm not with six to two. It's just little things like that. Um, sure, sure. Uh, obviously, the Quato moment—that's the, what the, I mean. Everybody remembers that. Um, things like you know Watson home run. I thought that shouldn't have been ruled a home run, uh, but it was. Um, you know, Marlon Bird kicking it off his first at bat ever in postseason. I forgot he was you know like 1,300 games without being the playoff game, and his first at bat he hits a home run. Uh, just, just how awesome Liriano was that night. He was on the, the crowd, the fans, how much of a factor they really were and how loud it was. I mean, you can't really tell even in TV. But, you know, just I, like I said, I think just when you watch it, and I love the fact that, that they didn't play a lot of commercials in between innings, so it kind of kept it like, you know, uh, going through. And the best part for me personally was that my son, who was three at the time, he's now 12, things that he remembered or didn't remember and what rewatching it with him. Um, Cause he's a baseball nut. He's my, he's my number one baseball nut. Uh, loves the game. And to watch it with him was, was awesome. And my, my parents are in town, what they were over at my sister's watching it. And we were talking and texting everybody texting. And just, it was just a cool, 
thing. So uh, just watching everybody's reactions, you know, um, I, I thought it was cool too. I didn't even realize, you know, because when you're in the moment, living, playing the game, listening to the broadcast, how how they told the story about, you know, my father and I having a catch in my field of dreams moment. They just they continued to talk about that story. They just kept saying how great the season was and everything in detail about the guys that were there. Just just little things I think I didn't really remember or appreciate because, um, you know, when you're caught up in it and you have three weeks in your off season to just chill, you're usually emptying your underwear and socks, put, trying to put them in a drawer for a minute before you report back to camp. I think it was just nice to, you know, really, I think even not just that game, but for me, 20 years of playing professionally, just breathe over these past several years. I'm looking back on like, man, uh, the further I get away from, from playing the game and watching the way the game's played now and today's game, I'm, I'm glad I played it when I played it. And I'm appreciative of borrowing the game as I did. And, and like I said, for that particular game, that was one of definitely one of the feathers in my cap to be a part of uh, a great team at a time when an organization um, that is great and can be great and should be great, um, you know, we were able to at least show that it can happen here. Jason Grilly with us, former Pirates closer, reminiscing about 2013. You mentioned Francisco Liriano. I'm not sure how widely known uh, it is how sick he was during that game. He essentially had the flu, and it was he, he was in pretty rough shape, was he not? And I, if I if I'm recalling correctly, there was some question as to whether or not he was going to be even a, able to take the ball, right, Jason? Yeah, I, you know that's one guy. One of the teammates I well respect, you know, there's a lot of things about your teammates you remember. Um, I've seen Lariano take a ball off the head. I've seen him beat up. And there's a lot of guys that, you know, some guys that uh, go about their business and you wouldn't know that they're not feeling right or feeling well. They take the ball. I mean, again, I could even speak to AJ. There was a game in St. Louis. I think he gave up 10 or 12 runs, and he just kept going out there. He didn't have his stuff that day. He just kept pitching, you know, and it's just like, there's not many guys that, that you can sit there and, and uh, you know, say enough about. Just just people look at the box score and go, oh, that was a bad day, or he stinks, or, yeah, that, sometimes we do stink, you know. <laughs> there's a lot of humility in the game, and there's a lot more humility in it, you know, to obtain some success. But, like I said, if you want to deem it apples to oranges, I mean, Michael Jordan, you know, he had the flu and had one of the greatest – playoff performances and, you know, giving his all. And Liriano, I know, was a little under the weather. But, you know, we don't get days off in, in baseball. And uh, guys are out there performing. Like I said, everybody knew how big this was. Liriano himself does. And he was always a guy that he was always not 100%, uh, but he'd go out and give 110%, you know. And uh, for that particular night, I know, like I said, watching him, and his filthy slider that night, just containing a pretty darn good lineup as well, you know, with the Reds. Um, no doubt, it, no it, doubt Jason Grilly is with us. So uh, let me ask you this. Uh, what was the discussion as to who may have gotten the ball if Frankie, for whatever reason, could could not have uh, have gone, Jason? I mean, did it, did it ever advance to that point? Um, you know, I'm not privy to those conversations, um, and I don't recall who would have been in, next in line. But, you know, when you have a one-game – set to go on to advance I think you know everybody was on guard I think everybody was stepped up and, and thrown an inning if if need be but 
Yeah. We, you know, the that, was a thing. that was a thing in the clubhouse. Think, it was being discussed, right? Like, oh, my gosh, yeah. I mean, this guy's like, he's, he's not feeling great, so we might have to figure out a plan B. What plan B is, we don't know. Right. Well, I think any fan that was wearing black that night would have suited up, too. So <laughs> <laughs> they, the Reds didn't just play the Pittsburgh Pirates. They had to play the whole entire city. So any anybody would have taken the ball gladly, and I think we still would have won that night. <laughs> No, no doubt. Hey, Jason, how would your uh, philosophy, your sequencing, and your stuff play in today's era? Because, you know, as I was watching you in that ninth inning, and as I, I, I look back and uh, watching as many ninth innings that you pitched a, a, as I did, you were, you know, throwing hand-high fastballs. Your fastball played. Uh, you per, your perceived velocity, I would imagine, would be much higher than your actual velocity, which was still in a respectable spot. But then you would also snap off the breaking ball down. So, you know, tunneling before, I guess, it was it was in vogue. Do you think that uh, you're maybe a little ahead of your time as it pertains to that as you watch today's game? Um, you know, it, it's funny because a couple of my teammates said, Grill, you set you know, the trend for this or that. And I go, no, I did. I'm not going to take credit for that, whether it was, you know, my emotion. I had Mark Melanson go, Grill, you really get that excited. I said, dude, I am so. I said, you see me throw up in the sixth or seventh inning before I go out because I am that excited, nervous, excited. Uh, and I said, I want. I know how important it is. I said, I don't want to blow all the the good things you guys do for the first eight innings. I said, I don't want to go sulking, sitting between my, uh, you know, my locker and sulk over a, over a cold soda. So you know, to me, um, I think you know. My slide step, I, I figured out a way to adapt to what I had to do. I think I could still, you know, now it, it's a power, it's just a power game. I don't like the, the brand of baseball. I still love the game. I hate that the balls are juiced. I hate, I mean, I, even towards the end of my career with Toronto and Texas, it, it, it started to change where it's all or none, you know. Uh, I mean, shoot, I even gave up a, I had a game where I gave up four home runs in Toronto against the Yankees, and it just felt ugly. I was tipping my pitches, uh, found out later. But still, I just remember in Texas, balls were going up uh, still as they were going out. So I knew the brand. And even for an out, I used to get balls back that were dented. Um, and it was like, whiffle, you know, you play wiffle ball, and you're like, man, these balls are different, you know. So... Uh, I played in the steroid era, and I played in the juice ball era, and I played the game when I got to play the game. And, you know, you always have to adjust and mold and figure out what works. Otherwise, if, if you don't, then they'll find somebody else that can. And uh, like I said, I don't think I had the best stuff necessarily on the team, but I know how to make it. I knew how to make it work, especially at the time of my career. I mean, there was nights that I felt so good that I touched 95, but, I was, you know, more averaging more 92, 93s in there towards the end, but that's why I mixed up my slide step to try to offset stuff. I remember Rod Barajas always going to me, girl, these guys think you're throwing 99 miles an hour. I said, and that was before spin rate and all this other talk. So if that's what it was, my spin rate was good, then, you know, I had a good way to uh, have the ball come off my fingertips. You know, Barry Zito, I remember people even too when he was, really dominate, and I remember seeing him in AAA, and guys were going, he's throwing 88 to 90, but he had such a good curveball. Um, you know, I just remembered that. I just always, guys always, I tried to watch and, and take a bit of piece of Jeremy Bonner with his slide, the guys I played with. It's like you always, if you always adapt and try to learn, pick apart and, and 
learn from your teammates. Um, you know, you can help each other, but uh, I think that's just kind of what I tried to do. Um, while I tried to work my way back towards the back end of the bullpen, it just kind of worked out for me. So, Jason Grilly with us, uh, former Pirates closer, still uh, in the North Hills of Pittsburgh, right? And uh, you're still active in the community. Tell us what you're doing now. I know a lot of folks have an idea of what you're doing, but for those that don't, uh, what do you have your fingers in? Well, as much as possible. Um, I'm actively involved with a good church here. We were supposed to be doing the whole thing. You know, with the food bank, I'm still trying to use my nickname, Grilled Cheese, for good and obvious reasons. Um, not too many people that don't like grilled cheese, but we're trying to do some fun things. And, and with the church community, I try to do stuff to feed uh, feed the hungry and, and, and needy. Uh, I've been trying to build some fields with a friend of mine at No Off-Season Sports. I've actually been on a bulldozer and some excavators moving some dirt uh, to build some baseball fields. So that was that's been kind of fun to see that come to life, um, and I hope that we can get back out there and get baseball in everybody's lives. Um, take some online guitar lessons. You know I like rocking out a little bit. I just, uh, I'll never be as good as Eddie Vedder, but I, uh, in my mind I can't be a baseball athlete. I play baseball or be an athlete anymore, so I'm going to try to be a rock star. <laughs> All right, well, I'm looking for the collaboration between you and Vedder. <laughs> you know, but, um, yeah, and uh, – I got a I got a farm here out here. I bought some some land, so gonna just uh, develop that and see where that goes. All right. Well, you always have your uh, your hand in something, Jason. Uh, now native Pittsburgher, I guess uh, you're called. So yeah, hey, I like it here, man. It, you know, a lot of guys settle here, and my family's here, and I'm enjoying my family and and the people uh, of Pittsburgh. It's that's the best part of this place is that you know we have such a good community. Uh, you know, we stick together. People do want to help each other generally, and I've seen it more and more now that uh, I'm out of the game and I'm involved and want to get involved. I tell people, I said, please tell me how I can help, you know. Um, use use my name for good if it, if it still holds any fun value. I, I want to be involved and, and uh, you know, just be a part of what you guys what you guys stand for here in Pittsburgh. Love it. Jason, hey, great catching up with you, and uh, we'll, we'll do it again soon. All the best Absolutely, to you. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me on. You guys have right, a great day. Stay safe. Yep, you too. All the best to the family. That's Jason Grilly, former Pirates closer. Really enjoyed catching up with him. It's been a been a while. Uh, it certainly has. Stay with us. Coming up next, uh, we'll put a ribbon on Bucko Talk, and we'll get ready to uh, pass it off when we return here on Sports Radio 93. We've got Bob Pompiani coming up next, so be sure to stay tuned for that. Uh, I would imagine uh, all good stuff with Pomp over uh, the next two hours. Dan Zang, really back uh, with you here on Sports Radio 93.7 The Fan. Uh, appreciate Jason Grilly for stopping by, reminiscing on 2013. Tomorrow, uh, about the same time, we should be wrapping up our interview with former Pirates right-hander A.J. Burnett. So we're going to talk to A.J. tomorrow. Really looking forward to... Uh, to that, I'll be with you uh, 9 until 11, so an hour shorter. I won't be uh, exclusively bucko talk. I want to get into some of the uh, um, business elements of, of the impact of, of, of the sports industry, and we're now starting to be able to quantify uh, what exactly this is going to cost. So have some folks on from the uh, Sports Business Journal tomorrow morning. I uh, hope you could join us, especially as it pertains to college athletics. Uh, we'll uh, dive into that. But uh, 
appreciate all of you for uh, your texts, and uh, we'll open up the lines a little bit more tomorrow. But wanted to uh, go a little guest heavy because we uh, have a lot to talk about as far as the game of baseball is concerned, the questions surrounding it, and um, there's a lot of fallout. And I hope we were able to cover some of that ground. Travis Sacek, special thanks to him. 538, give his book, The MVP Machine, a read. Adam Berry always does terrific work at Pirates.com. And if you want to re-listen to the uh, Jason Grilly interview, you can uh, always, if you haven't figured out, our Radio.com Rewind feature. Really good stuff. Uh, Essentially, what we were able to get out of Jason, uh, big takeaway, and I think it's been reported, and a lot of folks know, uh, Francisco Liriano pitched that wild card game under the weather. Jason mentioned some of the things that he was able to see or or recall while watching that game again. I, I watched it this week for the first time ever. Had never had a chance to watch it. But I knew that Liriano was under the weather. He didn't address reporters after the game because he was so sick. He just couldn't do it. But what really struck me is after Liriano was pulled from the game against the Reds, the camera quickly shot to him. And knowing that I knew he was under the weather, you could just see on his face that he was in some pretty bad shape. And I, I guess you know, there was some question as to whether or not he was going to be able to take the ball in that game. Just to, to kind of show you the onions on that guy, uh, he was a special one for the Pirates. Um, took the ball, as Jason mentioned, under a number of different circumstances. So the, now my big question is, and I'll have to ask AJ this, because uh, really I, he didn't cop out on the question. He just said he wasn't uh, privy to the answer of who would have taken the ball if Liriano didn't. I'm going to have to go back in my old scorebook to look at the rotation in that final regular season series against the Cincinnati Reds to see who would have potentially been on turn to start that game. We do know that A.J. wound up getting the ball uh, game one of the NLDS. So, um, or was that Cole? I think it was Cole started game one, if I'm not mistaken, right? I'll have to fact check myself on that. But anyway, we'll catch up with A.J. on that. Maybe he can shed some light. Uh, on who would have gotten the ball if Liriano was indeed unable to go because, as Jason mentioned here last segment, it was pretty close. So interesting tidbit out of that, uh, and we hope you join us tomorrow, 9 a.m., as uh, we'll be on the air with you bright and early. Hey, stay safe, everybody. We do remind you, our our sister station, News Radio 1020 KDKA uh, HD2 here on 93.7. If you want that crystal clear high-definition sound, uh, they've got you covered on the local front for anything and all related uh, updates pertaining to coronavirus. I know a lot of you are probably sick of hearing that by now, but we have to have to uh, shove this down your throat, right, because it's so important to stay vigilant and not let your foot up off the gas. Use your smart speaker to play News Radio 1020 KDKA, just as you maybe are, to play Sports Radio 93.7 The Fan. For Matt Harkins, our producer, I'm Dan Zang, really joining you tomorrow again bright and early. 9 a.m. on your Sunday morning. Enjoy the rest of your Saturday here on your flagship station for the Pirates, Sports Radio 93.7 The Fan. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. 
Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. 